Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter. Sponsored by Government Marketing University. Here's today's moderator, Stephanie Geiger. Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing with hot topics, best practices, exciting guests, and innovative ideas. Market Chat is an ongoing interaction between government and industry to ensure listeners walk away empowered with greater knowledge on how to better market to their targeted federal, state, and local audiences. As marketers strive to ensure their marketing campaigns are resonating with their government prospects and customers, it's important they map to the mission of government. From tech startups to large enterprise tech leaders and everyone in between, Market Chat helps companies walk away with new knowledge on ways to increase your company's thought leadership around your products and services. In this episode of Market Chat, we will provide insight into what's trending versus trendy that will impact the federal government in 2023 and beyond. We have put together an esteemed panel of industry thought leaders who will help us to know where to focus our sales and marketing efforts in 2023. Apply what you learn from this Market Chat to become more knowledgeable on trends and technologies that federal government buyers are watching to make better marketing and sales decisions and have your government and have your company viewed as a B2G thought leader. I'm your host, Stephanie Geiger, co-founder and executive vice president of Government Marketing University. I'm pleased to be joined by our incredible lineup of panelists. Tom Mahoney, Vice President, Public Sector Marketing for TD Cynic Public Sector. Tom Suter, CEO of Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, otherwise known as HARC. And Jeffrey Walensky, Director of Federal and National Sales for our host, WTOP Federal News Network and 2060 Digital. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Here. Thanks, Steph. All right, let's get started. So all three of you guys have a fantastic pulse on what's going on in our market. So let's dig into what we call trending versus trendy in federal government. So one of the first things we're going to talk about is how to follow the money with Capitol Hill allocations for 2023 success. So we have two Toms, so I'm going to make sure I call out the right one when I'm asking on each of them to share their insights. So Tom Studer, can you share a little bit of insight into the mandates that we should be tracking even there's even one from last year, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that got passed last year. That was a, a pretty landmark bill where they're giving a billion dollars of, of cybersecurity funds to state and locals. And it's mostly the locals. So I, I think that's one of the biggest ones. And they're just now trying to administer the money. It's been in the works now for years. So I, we've been working on this at ATARC for the last year. And, uh, a lot of companies are starting to position themselves. How can I help customers actually get this money? And you really have to help the states and the locals because they don't know how to get this big shot of money that may or may not last just maybe a year. So it's great. We get $200,000 for cybersecurity, but what happens the next year? So that's a, that's a big challenging one. And then there's ongoing, it's the Technology Modernization Fund, which is now a few years old. Uh, it got funded. Uh, extensively like uh, and it, it's it, it kind of shifted from a we have to pay it back to they have another part of this fund where you actually get the money and you get to keep it but that has really shifted uh to customer experience but also which we'll get into it probably uh zero trust there's been a lot of a series of awards there and it's really uh agencies are really using that to fund their cybersecurity money to in surge around uh zero trust I know you mentioned a little bit, Tom, about um, TMF, and we were going to kind of dig a little bit into this about kind of what's working and not working maybe with TMF and, and how um, marketers and sales leaders should be thinking about that as far as 2023. Yeah, I think what could be working better is uh, you, you, you basically have to come up with a five-page response. Um, and there is no reason why companies uh, that are interested can co-write them with agencies. So you need to go, if you have a great idea, you should be going to these agencies and convincing them to put in some money for te the technology modernization fund. And, and some companies have been pretty progressive about that. They're not coming out and saying we wrote the thing, but they, uh, it's a way to get funding that you might not, you know, so much of the government is, is just in the operations. They barely have enough money because they're pretty much leveraged to just run the operations and it's extra money that they can get. It, it needs to be taken advantage of. Um, I, I think the government probably needs to do some more workshops on how to how to do it because they're not the money's not coming out fast enough, in my opinion. Right. It's kind of sitting there and that means it's not being used. So um, they've gotten a lot of applications. Some of them have been good. So from my understanding, some of them have been not that great. But I, I think it's an opportunity for industry to partner with the government and everybody gets what they want. You get your 
products and services to the federal government, and the government gets a new capability. I know at um, GAIN this past fall, we had a kind of the next government goldmine because of the fact that there was such a huge influx of funding that's been coming in that's been, you know, unprecedented that we've seen and, you know, historically. Um, Tom, you guys at um, TD Cynics had put together this amazing slide of kind of the different areas that you've seen a lot of funding coming in. Um, any other insights you wanted to share there related to where the money's been flowing? Yeah, you know, one area that we're seeing money flowing is you know, what's happening with the workforce, you know, government employees and across the public sector, we're seeing more people go out than are coming in as more and more folks are retiring. And so what is that driving? That's driving a change in terms of how you deliver on those citizen services and help manage that citizen experience. But with fewer people coming in and more people retiring, they're having to modernize that um, through automation, through technology, leveraging AI and machine learning. So that's an area of investment just to keep up with delivering on the taxpayer constituent demands for services with a smaller workforce than you had a few years ago. Piggyback on what Tom said, uh, I think two years ago, we were all worried about AI replacing jobs. And then we had pandemic three years ago, actually, right? So now it's shifted. We can't get the work done. We have no possibility of getting the work done. So we need to use these tools to help us get the work done. One of the things that's come up so far that I'd like to comment on is when you think about what Tom Suter talked about in terms of some of the dictates where this money is going, for me, it breaks down into two distinct places. One, are you providing services or are you providing a product? If you're a marketer and you're providing services, you have to know where you have the opportunity to win business before you even start marketing for that business, whether it be based off of past performance, relationships, hires that you've made in your organization and market that way. And where I'm seeing the best marketers is people who have an understanding of where the realistic opportunities for their business are, rather than just viewing themselves as somebody who's a marketer that's putting together a marketing plan. They're somebody who's operational in the business working on the business plan and attaching a marketing plan to that business plan. That's on the services side to understand, hey, we can work with X agency. The money is, can, can come there. Here's how we can now acquire the money and having that acquisition strategy of how you're gonna make that sale and how the, the government organization is gonna buy it from you. Separate from that though would be somebody who is selling more of a product, one of these OEMs that needs to utilize a channel to make that happen. And in that case, I'm marketing how my product itself helps their tech stack. So whether it be something that helps their data, their cyber, their cloud, their whatever, I'm making the case for why they're adding a component and then utilizing my sales team to advocate for how Gartner or Forcer or whomever has said, this piece needs to be part of your overall technology plan. And I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for them to put that into some place where then I can get it acquired through my channel. And that is vastly distinct and different jobs for those two marketers if you have a product or you have a service in what your go-to-market strategy is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jeffrey. And I think that's you know, um, something that as for GMRQ, we're working to figure out better ways to support some of those services-focused marketers because it is a totally different approach to the market um, and they really have to think of it in a different lens. Anything else, uh, Tom, to piggyback onto what Jeffrey said as far as how you guys are supporting maybe some of your partners or vendors that might be tackling those two um, different types of approaches to market? It's it's such a good point. And, and I would also add that sometimes the product sale leads to a very lucrative services sale. And so you have a land and expand strategy that you can take advantage of. Where we try to support the channel is, you know, first, exactly what we're talking about right now. Where is the money being allocated? What is in the TMF fund? What is in E-rate? Um, what's being allocated to help modernize the infrastructure for state and local government out of the federal budget? Helping those, those partners that we're aligned to understand where that opportunity is, because it is a waiting. Um, and then helping them to pinpoint exactly how you position that product or solution as a way of responsibly taking advantage of that funding opportunity, but also solving a real world problem through technology. So um, yeah, just reinforcing everything Jeffrey just said. Yeah, that's great. I think all very helpful points. 
Um, so I know, you know, we talked uh, a bit about some of the, the funding and maybe let's tag into a little bit some of the executive orders and Tom, anything that you're kind of seeing percolating or, you know, stuff that's kind of been carrying over from the last fiscal year that you think should be top of mind as we're looking at kind of this trending versus trendy related discussion? Tom Suter? Yeah. Uh you know, we've had the cybersecurity executive order for now for it's in its second year, and we've we've had a zero, you know, some zero trust memorandums that have come out. This is long term. You know, it you know, for zero trust, CISA defines it as identity management. That's a big, big chunk. Data, devices, network environments, and application workloads. So it's a very broad swath of uh of cyber. And uh at ATARC, we started about a year and a half ago, we started a, a zero trust lab uh, with our working groups. And uh, we had a bunch of government folks come together with some different use cases. And uh, we've had about 61 companies that have participated in this. So it's it's a term and it, it's good for marketing. If I called it something else, it would might not do as well, but it's a big trend. And so everybody, uh, you know, I'm at a conference right now and everybody's talking about zero trust and it's very very difficult to pull all these five different pillars together and actually implement it in your agency most most agencies frankly are just talking about it. so there's going to be a lot of spending and uh one of the things that came up during this year is, is uh well now i have the cyber eo so i can go in with the cyber eo to to my to my management and say hey well the president said we need to invest in this right so that's a uh, a mandate that people are leveraging um so it's it's, it's exciting times for cybersecurity right now you know the funny the funny part about what you just said tom Suter, is like if it took a couple years ago you could replace uh cdm and zero trust in everybody's conversations and it was the same type of conversation and as a marketer i think that oftentimes people get caught up in the trendy trending type of thing and at a recent uh disa event John Sherman was talking about how he just hears everybody talking zero trust, zero trust, zero trust. And he actually thinks that people should change their terminology a little bit because same way with, and this is my, my take on it, the same way with CDM is that people use overarching terms too often and then they try to connect themselves with that term where they'd actually be better served to Tom Mahoney's point earlier connecting themselves to where within this massive thing, we got five pillars within zero trust. And within those five pillars, my product might only uh, fulfill a piece of, of peace. And so how do I effectively communicate what my message is to the government of how I can help them? And it's not, hey, connect my name to zero trust only, right? So you can put yourself in that conversation because there's money there, but how do you put yourself in that conversation effectively with the conversation around money, but with what you actually do to almost move your, your sales conversation forward rather than connecting yourself with whatever the current buzzword is. Because then it, these are the same people that were buying CDM that are buying zero trust now. How do you differentiate what your product does to help them in the overall landscape? I think that's something that marketers could really benefit from. Jeffrey, I, I, just to add to that, I mean, there's so much to unpack there between trendy and trending as it relates to zero trust. You know, two years ago, we were putting out marketing messaging that was tied to zero trust as a term. And, and the feedback was, this is very buzzy. You know, it, it's, it's a buzzword right now. What does it really mean? Peeling it back. Meaning has sort of been attributed to it as a term. And as, as it's become more defined through things like the executive order, you know, feedback from DISA and more. It's what we found is there are manufacturers out there that have purpose built solutions that um, are designed to address zero trust concerns. And then there's manufacturers out there that have purpose-built cybersecurity solutions that they're trying to break through the market using zero trust as, as the, the catchword, the buzzword that's going to help them you know, win, the, uh, win the inbox, if you will, and, and get some attention. Uh, so to reinforce what you're saying from a sales and marketing perspective, you know, zero trust, you, you got to peel back that layer, connecting your solution, your service, and your product to a specific pain point is how you break through the noise and being able to check the box that says this satisfies a lot of the concerns or requirements around having a zero trust framework helps as a validation of your solution but you really do want to get as laser focused in terms of your solution lining up to a very specific pain point 
Otherwise, you just become part of the background noise and, and you're going to be ignored because somebody else is going to have a more clear message uh, to that end user. I agree, Tom. And, and one more thing I can add, this is really a partner play if you're a software company in this space, because nobody really does it. I think Palo Alto may have one of the widest portfolios, but they don't cover everything. So you're really going to have to pick how can I work with this group of different companies? It's it's complicated. And I think you're going to have to really look at who you're going to partner with and go to market with. The one other take I have on this is that the system integrator community has become more important than ever. And there's there's a two-step process that made that happen. Uh, there was a, a lot of buzz around the amount of mergers and acquisitions that was taking place in the SI community, the consolidation of cheap money, uh, all of the, the buying that was going on. Maybe that slows down with the interest rates and what's happening with the Federal Reserve. But what the uh, backlash is from what was taking place five years ago is that it's really consolidated and that many of the decisions of which products are going to be used inside of the things that are going to be installed in government agencies are being made at GDIT and Lidos and CACI and on and on and on, rather than being made at the government agency the way that maybe they were in the past. And that goes to that workforce issue that you brought up earlier, that that workforce issue has caused a, a more heavy uh, reliance on SIs and the SIs making more and more decisions on behalf of the government agencies. The power that relies on the SI has grown tremendously in the last couple of years. Yeah, this is all we have so much to dig into and so much to unpack. And I know that we are going to keep digging in a little bit further. The cyber is such a huge topic, and I'm super excited. We already started talking about zero trust, but we do have to um, head to our first commercial break. Um, so I will be excited to come back here to uh, keep checking in with these guys and, and digging in deeper. So we need to take a break. So please stay with us as we talk about what is trending versus trendy in federal government. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is a collaborative, community-based approach toward knowledge sharing and skills development within the U.S. public sector market a marketplace of training, research, networking, and community programs designed to support industry professionals at all levels in their careers. GMARCU keeps the U.S. public sector community informed, educated, and connected to accelerate professional success and expedite business goals. Visit gmarcu.com to learn more. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. In this episode of Market Chat, we are talking about what is trending versus trendy in federal government. I'm Stephanie Geiger, Executive Vice President and Co-Founder at Government Marketing University. With us here today are Tom Mahoney, Vice President, Public Sector Marketing for TD Cynics Public Sector, Tom Suter, CEO of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, otherwise known as HARC, and Jeffrey Walensky, Director of Federal and National Sales, WTOP Federal News Network and 2060 Digital. Welcome back, guys. All right, so we were just chatting about cyber, and we know there is so much to unpack in this giant category. Um, we had a lot of good things to say about zero trust, but let's talk about supply chain slash risk management. This is something that you know has been around for a while. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? Is this kind of trending or trendy? And um, maybe Tom Suter, we'll start with you. Uh long term, it's going to be a trend. I think right now it's 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 more talk. Nobody's really doing a whole lot you know the same mmc is taking taking a while i do think that macroeconomic trends even this morning dell computer has decided they're going to not produce chips in their component parts in china anymore by 2024. these are some big macro trends uh there uh, as we've seen in china that they're going to have other operations that they can lean on it may not be in the united states but it'll be other places around the world uh, it, it, it it's such a big issue. It's like way bigger than zero trust, in my opinion. And but there are some emerging companies. There's starting to be some pilots that where we can really get to the bottom of our supply chain. Uh, already, there's programs like the F-35 Strike Fighter that has a really robust uh, tracking of all the component parts. But mainstream government, uh, it's not it's not there yet. Well, I was going to say, the, the funny thing is, for years, we went to a place where we felt we could cut costs by sending production to overseas. 
And now that the Tom describes that trend is boomeranging back in the sense that we realize we don't have the both in defense industrial base, but just in general industrial base inside the United States for manufacturing in that way at those costs. So there's it brings back and it's fascinating that the, every episode of the every segment of the show is going to come back to the workforce aspect. You can have all the goals that you want and you can put money behind it. And even if you're the government of the United States of America, you cannot achieve that if you don't have people to be able to do it. And so this supply chain issue and this chip issue isn't going away because we haven't set ourselves up in position to be able to solve it. So when it comes to the the actual regulation and policy that's being made, that's going to have to be taken into account based off of both what they're asking of the agencies, but also in the time frame they're asking it to be done. So right now the opportunity is more so for software companies that help you actually understand what's touching your network, what's on your systems, and how accounting for it. But the piece of that supply chain of the actual manufacturing of it, I think that's more way a little ways off. Yeah. So, it's, Tom, oh, sorry, go ahead. Tom. Yeah. I was going to give you a segue, but you go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I picking up on what Jeffrey was saying as it relates to the supply chain, you know, software companies obviously have a different advantage over hardware companies when, when supply chains at issue. But I mean, for reinforcing what Jeffrey was saying, for years, country, you know, the, the American economy relied upon allowing countries to do what they do best from a manufacturing, shipping, production, transportation perspective so that we could create the optimal supply chain that reduced cost and improved throughput. And then all of it got disrupted in a, you know, once in a century manner over the last couple of years. And, and now we're having to reimagine how do you construct a supply chain? How do you manage the risk? The risk profile, the amplitude on that has, is exponentially bigger than it's ever been before. And, you know, recall in 2020, we, we involved auto machine makers in, in building uh, uh, ventilators for, for people that were in hospitals because we had, we, you know, to your point, all the money in the world can't make things turn a little bit faster without a, a supply chain and, and the right people in the right roles doing the right things and re-examining the workforce. What are we training people to do um, in order to, to respond to this moment? It's 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 fascinating to watch. Um, you know, I, I don't have a prediction there in terms of what happens other than uh, I think we're still experiencing a lot of the pain, you know, just around the holidays, getting some things shipped on time uh, is an example of the supply chain, you know, in the in the personal world, it's impacting the government and public sector space as well. Yeah, all of those toys that make people want to make sure we're underneath the tree in time. Um, the other thing, Tom, I, Tom Mahoney, that I was going to um, kind of share is that obviously as a distributor, you guys are helping so many companies, you know, go to market, right, or help them grow their footprint within the space. So, you know, kind of the next segue down is CMMC, right? And um, what does that mean for these government contractors? And how maybe are you providing some guidance for folks as they're thinking through um, what that's going to look like for them over the next year to two years? You know, we're fortunate at TD Cynix Public Sector in that we have some great subject matter experts on the team uh, who have been out front on CMMC since it was first introduced. Uh, and to that end, we produced uh, an online hub with information where we publish blogs, thought leadership podcasts, reporting around what's happening with CMMC, the latest. Um, we put together some webinars to educate the vendors and the partners we work with in terms of how does this impact the channel? Could it impact the channel? What is the impact to you? And, and what do you need to do to be ready based on the best available information as it's continued to evolve and, and continue to change over the last couple of years? Um, and, and that's, you know, our, our primary role here is we want to make sure that the channel remains uh, efficient and optimized in order to transact business with major customers like the Department of Defense. Um, and, and the first thing we want to do is make sure that we're getting good information out there, educating our partners and our vendors as to what the impacts are to CMMC and, and what they may need to do to get ready and, and what their next steps could be there. I have a question for Tom on that. It, it makes me believe, based off of what, how I've seen CMMC roll out, that this is a place where companies like yours can go from being sellers to government to sellers to a, a, a commercial side that's not just like, hey, we want to sell random commercial uh, companies in our market. Do you think that CMC, CMMC is the entry point into more business happening between uh, companies in the government space 
and opening it up to companies that were exclusively selling in the government in the past that are now selling to contractors in a different way. That I don't know. I just get that feel. That's in, in potentially, yeah, right. Because you know, this becomes a new way to you know to create entrance with the DoD, and um, potentially, yeah, you could see it expand to that market as well. All right. So I feel like we could keep talking about cyber-related topics for a whole program, um, and there's a lot in there that's both you know trendy and trending, as I think we kind of touched on. So let's let's move on to um, a new area of technology. So I was doing a little bit of research on some statistics, and according to a 2021 um, Deloitte State of AI survey, 84% of agencies believed that their AI investments would increase by 6% or more in the next fiscal year, and that the budget analysis showed that U.S. federal funding for AI research and development alone was expected to have grown by nearly 50% um, to more than $6 billion in FY 2021. Yet, I feel like we all can still agree that, um, in general, government is still fairly slow to adapt or um, adopt AI technology. So, um, Jeffrey, you had some interesting perspectives, I think, on AI and, and what's kind of happening in the federal government. Yeah, I mean, when you look at both in the federal government or in our personal lives as it, as it relates to the way the technology and either the business process automation has taken place or some of these bots that they've been able to put in place, it speeds up the process and, and it addresses the workforce issue because things can be happening in a way that weren't in the past. We had a program on Federal News Network where a gentleman from the Army talked about um, issuing the task to three distinct uh, entities, tell me how many soldiers I have ready to be deployed right now. And they came out with three different numbers. He asked Google uh, for a number and that gave him a fourth number. And they found out that if they knew the dental records of soldiers, that would change the number of people that were deployed based off of when their most recent dental record was taken. Anyways, fast forward to all those types of things. All of the pieces of information about the soldiers were in different, distinct, uh, and desperate places. If you bring those things together and let AI come in, AI can tell you the answer and change the amount of soldiers that we have ready to go and be deployed on behalf of the United States, one of the most important things that our government does and operates for. The opportunity to deliver for AI right now is, is tremendous. Um, and how companies can slowly get there is through pilot projects, through getting those pilot projects sponsored, and then showing more so than ever before transparency into what a government agency invested in, how the technology changed it, and what the result was. I think Tom Suter may have talked about that earlier on in the program. Yeah, Tom Mahoney, you also have some things to add. I felt like. Well, you know, it's it's as a concept, it's been around forever. I mean, you know, we we joke about you know some of the science fiction movies from from our youth, where AI was part of part of the fabric of, of how we were entertained for years and and the promise of the future. What's amazing is you know how much it it already is part of our day to day life. Um, you know, I, I, I don't commute to the office without checking a couple different routes to the office. And, and that's an example of AI just becoming part of the regular life. Um, but it's it's definitely trending and, and uh, I think is going to be a major opportunity for technology companies looking to do business with with the government, you know, from uh, managing infrastructure, managing citizen services to to Jeffrey's point around how we're deploying troops globally uh, in defense of the United States. If, if I can add, because my son is in the army and he's deployed over in Korea, so he I've, he's he relays enough to me to know that there's a lot of paperwork involved. I think with AI, one of the first issues are this data integration problem. I got I can't get access to the data. Uh, we need to build those systems out where we can share data because we can't put AI an AI component on if you can't get to the data in the first place. So that's a major infrastructure. Uh, issue uh around ai it's all it's not big ai it's not we don't need skynet it's it's little things that can save a lot of time um i saw a demonstration by the coast guard and they're trying to rescue people etc cetera, etc cetera. and right now they look out of the helicopter do i see somebody swimming in this vast ocean or it's like i'm looking for a sailboat you know with all these white caps you know using computer vision very good use case you know, I can pick out the anomaly that the human eye can't really pick out. If you can imagine a, a perfect storm and all these 
you know, rough waves and you've got a little sailboat out there. So I think it's a lot of little things. Uh, you know, it's how do I get my schedule for my flight crew? You know, it's very difficult to do that on a spreadsheet. So we're trying to get them out, getting the military out of Excel spreadsheet and getting them where they can have some little business intelligence behind something and, and, and do their jobs more efficiently. Your, your Coast Guard example also goes to the TSA. I know of a company that is scanning pictures right now. And if, if you go to various airports, they're still using different systems in different airports, but some of them are using the scenarios where there's not an actual person sitting behind the screen where you put your bags through and it's an AI piece that they're scanning pictures in advance, thousands and thousands of pictures, classifying those pictures. It's almost like the beginning of the, the internet in the way that Google created search. Um, things had to be tagged and you had to create a way that the search would work. If that's taking place with images through the computer so that the computer can do the job of the, of the naked eye to replace a lot of TSA pieces and make it actually even more automated. So not using AI to have students write their papers for them, but for more appropriate applications for sure. And maybe uh, United not having somebody's bag show up at a McDonald's wherever it showed up uh, the last time. But yeah, no, I think these are all, all great use cases and hopefully we start to see um, you know, more of the industry folks being able to get those um, pilots happening because we see a lot of positive uh, impact that this could have on, on the government. So um, moving on to our next technology category, we were talking about something that fit more into the trending category, which was blockchain technology. So um, Jeffrey, you had some thoughts on what this looks like. When you think about it, it's the problem that it's going to solve is a piece for just justice and treasury. That Bitcoin is here, and the same way that we just kicked back this whole thing about uh, PayPal and Venmo and reporting the, the funds that people are trading or moving between PayPal yeah. and Venmo, massive sums of money are moving around through cryptocurrencies, not, not only Bitcoin, but all kinds of other ones that yeah. you know, sound like made up names. And so the government doesn't have a strategy to track and create a way to understand that. They, they're capturing them in, in uh, arrest right now and they don't know how to store their own, right? So what what is the cryptocurrency is the piece where blockchain comes in rather than I think a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, blockchain is going to do other things for the government. But that the fact that we just had the thing with FTX and the bankruptcy, at, is the SEC prepared to understand how to do this? Um, you know, there's, there's a variety of government agencies that have to have experts in blockchain, not necessarily meaning that they have to have blockchain technology that they're either acquiring or using, but it's part of society based off of the way that crypto is here to stay. Tom Mahoney, did you want to add anything to the end? You know, it's when I think about block, blockchain, it's almost impossible to separate it from the conversation of cryptocurrency. But, you know, Harkening back to like the trendy uh, aspect of it, I remember blockchain was the promise of ensuring that your ads were going to be showing up on the right publications and you could ensure that as you're getting charged by these publishers for the number of impressions, you had something to validate that. I just haven't seen it materialize the way that that promise was, was put forward. All right, so it sounds like we kind of have some mixed reviews about blockchain, um, but we're going to need to take a quick break. So um, please stay with us as we talk about what is trending versus trendy in federal government. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter and government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is a collaborative, community-based approach toward knowledge sharing and skills development within the U.S. public sector market a marketplace of training, research, networking, and community programs designed to support industry professionals at all levels in their careers. GMARCU keeps the U.S. public sector community informed, educated, and connected to accelerate professional success and expedite business goals. Visit gmarcu.com to learn more. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. In this episode of Market Chat, we are talking about what is trending versus trendy in federal government. I'm Stephanie Geiger, Executive Vice President and Co-Founder at Government Marketing University. With us today are Tom Mahoney, Vice President, Public Sector Marketing, TD Cynics Public Sector, Tom Suter, CEO, Advanced Technology 
Academic Research Center, ACARC, Jeffrey Wolinski, Director of Federal and National Sales, WTOP Federal News Network, and 2060 Digital. Welcome back, guys. All right, so we are going to jump into data analytics. Um, so I know that, um, Tom, you had kind of a unique perspective here um, for data analytics and one for more of the, the marketer's perspective. So why don't you talk about uh, data analytics from a marketer's view? So, you know, in our space, data-driven decision-making, data-driven marketing are the, the most essential ingredients for success. You know, having a great story, having a great product, uh, having a great solution are all prerequisites for sure. Having a clear, compelling message is, uh, is essential. But the biggest challenge we've seen over the last three or four years in this space, in the public sector space, is being able to identify in, uh, in purchase intent and then finding the right decision makers, influencers, and buyers. Um, and why has that been such a big challenge? Well, you know, we, we've relied on in-person events for decades to build out our Rolodexes and, and CRM systems so that we had the most current information. We've relied on folks like Tom Suter to keep us smart about all of this. Um, and that was taken away as a marketer sometime in 2020, where all of a sudden we started to see that, you know, we, we couldn't be face-to-face -face with these folks, and that's how we transact a lot of business. And they also weren't at work. They were at home. So being able to find them, being able to position your message in front of their eyes was a new challenge, uh, especially in, in a modern marketing infrastructure where you're tracking IP addresses, using first-party data, cookies, et cetera. And then the cookie crumbled. You know, All sorts of things were working against us from a data uh, standpoint. And you had a couple changes in, in, in leadership positions across government, which meant people were no longer in those jobs. They had moved on. Um, and so all of this is working against us. So what does it get, get down to? Finding great quality contact information for your marketing and having trusted resources for that. That's where having a, a system, a database, a methodology, and the right partners in place to help you capture that information is essential. Um, and then leveraging intent data so that you can see what are the pain points that the buyer is having uh, and how can you position your solution in front of that pain point appropriately. And, and that comes down to having great content published on the right channels and then demanding better analytics on the back end from the publishers, the media companies, your sales team, anybody that's doing a virtual event so that you can follow up and engage on that uh, qualified contact. Yeah, I think all that's all great um, talking points there, Tom Mahoney. I think that to pull that thread a little bit further from more of like an internal data perspective and the stakeholders that you're kind of trying to prove yourself to a little bit and making sure that you've got that really strong campaign data that can convey um, some of the ROI associated with the investment that you're making with your marketing budget. We saw a lot of, you know, unfortunate impacts, I think, to marketing budgets over the course of the transition between the 2022 to 2023 calendar year. And so, you know, marketing departments, to your point, I think are going to be even more charged with validating kind of some of the things they're doing and the audiences that they're reaching and making sure that it's helping to move the needle. So I think it's going to become incredibly important as uh, marketing leaders are looking at their data to be able to have all those salient points to um, analyze them and convey them both internally as well as applying them to their you know externally facing campaigns. I, I would add one more thought there, Stephanie, is if you are in a public sector marketing role, you are getting a lot more attention than you're used to getting this year. You know, as we look at the public sector, we look at commercial economic indicators leadership at technology companies are leaning in on the public sector as a hedge and a growth strategy against, you know, uh, against uncertain economic times, I'll say. And so you're getting a lot more scrutiny. So being able to demonstrate that ROI, you've been waiting for years to get this level of attention and, and interest, being able to demonstrate the ROI and proof of performance, there's never been more pressure on you. Yeah, the wanted yet unwanted attention right now, right, as a public sector marketer. So to take a little bit of a shift in more of the kind of government-facing um, lens, so I was at an event where um, Terry Halverson was talking, and he was basically saying that it's going to be all about the data from a government perspective, um, how to protect it, move it, how to analyze it. And I just thought that was a really interesting perspective on um, just how underlying data is as far as, as it relates to so many different things that the federal government does. And, you know, as industry um, contractors, you know, how can you align yourself to kind of each one of those core needs from a government perspective? So, you know, the very um, increasing levels of data breaches that have happened and leaks and 
cloud versus on-prem and, you know, where, what's the point of data, right, if agencies can't act on it. And so I think as uh, industry marketers and sales leaders are, are thinking through some of their strategies, you know, data modernization efforts is going to be a huge uh, daunting task, right, for a lot of federal agencies. So how can you look to be the hero and figure out how you can align yourself with maybe one of those kind of core functionalities of the data and message um, yourself specifically to that. Um, I don't know, uh, Tom Suter or Jeffrey, if you guys have anything else to add there, but I just think it's all about the data for 2023, for sure. And, you know, the chief data officers got um, formalized like five or six years ago, and, and it's now really, they're really rising to at least the CIO level, you know, at least the C-suite, because it is very, it's just super important. That's what the agency is really producing is their output is data. So that's, you know, they it's overused, but it's like the new oil. So but there are a lot of issues, you know, and it really is cross-cutting. Here we go back to zero trust with the data. You know, we're back in the cyber. Uh, you know, how do I protect the data? It's the it's crown jewels. I need to protect that data. And how can I democratize that data and get it out to people effectively and share that data? That's a very big, I, I think this data integration piece is one of the biggest things that we have going not well in the federal government. You know, my data is more valuable. I shouldn't be sharing it. So, it, you know, these chief data officers are, are, are kind of carried and sticking it. And there's a lot of big programs underway and they're not going super great right now. I was going to comment on Tom, Tom Mahoney talking about uh, marketers using data. And it's a double-edged sword. The folks that are have those eyes on the marketers want data on find me people with uh, purchase intent. And then at the same time, they'll, the marketer is like, uh, my salespeople tell me that nobody's heard of our product, knows what it does, who we are. And I, I think that one of the things that the, the business side has gotten wrong is thinking that marketing is all about leads. And sure, marketing is about leads, but marketing is about emotional connection and decision. And if you don't tie your company to a feeling that people have, you can still be the best product and lose. I know that it's a dated example, but beta and VHS. VHS was an inferior product, but became the widespread one that was adopted because of how people felt about it, how it was marketed and positioned. And some of the companies that we work with, some of the technology companies want to sell the government, you know, call us up and say, provide uh, uh, ready to buy leads. Well, if we had ready to buy leads, we'd be charging you more and we'd probably be selling them something ourselves, right? But we, you have to create something where the purchaser understands who you are, what you are. There is still a relationship aspect to the things that you're acquiring. You might not want that traditional relationship of a salesperson calling on people in an office, but you have to feel some sort of relationship. And that's where a lot of people in the marketing world would say, content marketing gives people the ability to develop the relationship that they used to develop uh, in face-to-face -face events, tabletop events, industry days, and things like that. And so as a marketer, you have to really think about, okay, yes, my corporate wants purchase leads ready to purchase, but at the same time, who's going to purchase if they don't know something? Uh, even even uh, Tom Suter probably drives past the non-branded gas station to buy at Shell or Exxon and pays a couple of dollars or a couple of dollars more for a tank of gas. Why? Because the people that are buying are still humans, right? They're willing. The, the, what, what hasn't come up in this conversation is uh, lowest price technically acceptable, but it used to be that that was a favorite acronym that any government person was talking about, right? Not saying that that's not still a thing. But marketers have to realize how to bring that into the conversation again. I was going to say, I have to correct you. I drive by all gas stations because I have a Tesla. <laughs> I, was, I give you a softball, man. I saw it there, you know. And now we're back on AI. Um, exactly. Is, I was, Jeffrey, uh, just to add to your comment, um, it's, it's really, it harkens back to having a robust marketing mix, right? Lead generation is one of the disciplines in a marketing function brand awareness and content marketing, it all needs to work together and you need to have the right marketing mix so that your message breaks through that noise. Um, what, one of the things I heard, and I, I think it reinforces what you just said, is you know companies sell on the external problem, but people buy on the internal or psychological problem. 
meaning I will buy gas because I am low on gas and that is my external problem. Um, that's how you sell to me. But the, the thing that's going to make me buy is something where I trust your brand as being the solution to the internal pressure that I may be feeling. If I am a chief data officer, if I'm a chief information security officer, I have requirements of my job that are clear, black and white, mandated. They're in executive orders. I don't need to think about what they are. They're written out for me. Um, and I need to satisfy those requirements. Now I have to make a choice about where I'm going to buy. And I'm probably going to lean in on the solution that I feel reduces my risk and makes me feel like I'm going to be successful uh, in my role and in satisfying my job. And so to, to reinforce that it's all around the, the human nature, companies sell on the external problem, but people are going to make buying decisions on the psychological level. Um, and that's that's a critical insight to gain as a marketer. If I can add one thing to what you're saying, Tom, and everything you're saying, I completely agree with. It's like the old, especially the government, they're very risk averse. They're not going to take a chance with somebody that nobody knows. You know, that's why the, the old adage, you know, you know, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. It's, a, it's the same thing. They want to go with known quantities that, you know, that are unquestioned. Yeah, I think this is all really helpful as marketers are thinking through their strategies. So I know we're, we're getting short on the time that we have to talk through some other technologies, but I want to make sure we talk about digital transformation as it relates to kind of the workforce aging and the retiring challenge. We know this is a, a topic that's been covered a lot lately. I mean, there was a, a mass exodus that was happening. We saw a lot of government employees leaving um, during COVID or shortly thereafter. And so why don't we talk a little bit about what that looks like? Um, maybe Tom Mahoney, start with us. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm recognizing there's a lot of cohesion between all of these subjects, you know, uh, that, that sort of they feed on one another. We, we've seen you know, during COVID, we've seen a need to modernize how people work so that we can support a hybrid work environment. And that meant changing applications, changing configurations, changing how we supported the staff so that we could deliver on citizen services uh, and still secure the nation. And at the same time, that meant that we had to rely upon data so that we could make more informed decisions. But with a smaller workforce, an aging workforce, a retiring workforce, and a less experienced workforce coming up, you have to lean into solutions like AI and machine learning in order to execute decision-making at scale uh, and continue to maintain the services that you know, we're obligated to provide to, to citizens through technology. And that just increase, increases the, the, the risk vector, um, the surface area for attacks, which means you need things like zero trust at play. Um, you need things like CMMC at play so that you can make sure that you're delivering something in a secure environment. So uh, just an observation that these are all feeding into one another uh, as, as we go through the conversation. Tom Suter or Jeffrey, anything to add related to digital transformation? I, I love what Tom Mahoney previously said about companies, uh, you know, sell on that external problem and, and people buy based off of that internal thing. And I'd love to see some of the marketing that you guys have for your partners coming out, because if you can get people to market against that, we will all be more successful in in marketing, selling, and and delivering. I love that. Uh, proselytize that, Tom Mahoney. Happy to, yeah. I'll add. Uh, we we did a CXO roundtable, and we're going through the same kinds of things with that. Uh, where does a customer experience officer sit? That we were talking a few years ago about the chief data officer. Are they on the public affairs side? Are they in a CIO shop? And I I really think that the COVID, at least in this case. You, you had to get to your citizens and they expected a, a superior experience. So I think things are moving, moving there. But, um, you know, people want to see an app. They want to be able to get access to data just like they are, you know, through a bank or, or you know, and all the great apps that we have. And I, I think that's the way we want to deliver citizen services and internal constituents. That's what they they're they're expecting. So I think we're going to really move that way from now on. Well, I have one more thing on digital transformation. One term that people don't use as often as they, they did in the past is that rip and replace. It's rare that anybody in any nature rips and replaces, and everything is done in incremental change. Technology has allowed us to maybe, maybe rip and replace and be better off because of it, but culture in government doesn't allow for the rip and replace that often. And if you're a company that is relying on that rip and replace, I've seen time after time uh, and heard people talking about uh, in a recent panel that we did, AT&T is, is telling the government 
It's costing them more money to keep lines that they don't want to service anymore. And, and they're literally offering that business to other companies because AT&T doesn't even want to have it on their network, but the government wants to keep it. It's a great example of in digital transfer, transformation, there's the opportunity from a tax standpoint to rip and replace some of this stuff, but the government either doesn't want to, doesn't have the funds to, or doesn't have the policy that will allow them to do some of the things that companies are capable of offering them. So don't market something that they're simply not going to do. Maybe one last observation. Sorry, Tom, I'll have to cut you off on there because I want to make sure we have time for final thoughts because we're almost at the end of our segment here. So um, I can start with you, Tom Mahoney. Um, just some final thoughts as sales and marketing um, leaders are looking to you know, finalize their go-to-market strategies. Any final advice related kind of trending versus trending in the federal government? You know, things that are trendy today become trends tomorrow. And so as you think about what your marketing mix needs to be, keep an ear out and an eye out for those things that seem like they're buzzwords right now, because as those begin to catch fire, you want to be able to make sure that you know how to properly position your solution. That's going to help you break through the noise. But you got to be thinking long term around, is this something that is uh, just a buzzword or is it something that's pointing in a direction where I can use this to help position my solution or product? Absolutely. How about you, Jeffrey? Final thoughts? Marketing only wins when sales converts. Know your sales leader, your sales team, and your sales numbers if you want to be a successful marketer. Love it. <laughs> Tom Suter. Jeffrey just took the words out of my mouth. But I, I do see, I think the trend is, I, I think folks really want to get back in person. I've seen that less of a little bit less of an interest in webinars than previous, because that was the only game in town. Um, we're seeing, everybody's asking us about in-person events, because they think that's the way they're going to get close to the government. Thank you guys all so much. This was really wonderful insight. Um, you've been listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter and government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I'm Stephanie Geiger, co-founder and executive vice president of Government Marketing University, and thanks so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter, sponsored by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network.